Good evening. My name is Emily Duffy, and on behalf of the Catholic Information Center, it's my pleasure to welcome you here tonight as Dawn Eden launches her newest book, Remembering God's Mercy. This book is a true gift to the church as it explores some memories, impact, and are affected by faith. In addition to her latest book, Dawn is the author of The Thrill of the Chaste and My Peace I Give You, Healing Sexual Wounds with the Help of the Saints. Born into a Jewish family in New York City, Dawn lost her faith as a teenager and became an agnostic. During her 20s, she worked as a rock journalist in New York City. She went on to work in editorial positions for the New York Post and the Daily News. At the age of 31, Dawn underwent a dramatic conversion to Christianity that ultimately led her to enter the Catholic Church. She received her pontifical licentiate in sacred theology from the Dominican House of Studies in 2014 and is currently completing a doctorate at the University of St. Mary of the Lake. Please help me to welcome our speaker this evening, Dawn Eden. Well, thank you all so much for coming. Thanks to Emily for that wonderful introduction. I'm so glad to see Father Arnie here and also, and also uh, Kevin uh, in the store who were here when I had my very first book launch event back in 2006, nearly 10 years ago for the original edition of my first book, The Thrill of the Chaste. Uh, then in, uh, in tw hi, hi, Deanna, come in. This is like a total homecoming for me because I, because I uh, lived here for seven years uh, in D.C. from 2007 to 2014. So it's a joy seeing so many familiar faces. After that first uh, book launch in 2006, I had the launch for My Peace I Give You, Healing Sexual Wounds with the Help of the Saints here in 2012. And then, uh, and then in um, in uh, twenty, um, I, I'm trying. I'm trying to. I'm trying to think now. I, I thought I had a lunch for the uh, Catholic edition of the Thrill of the Chaste uh, as well, but that may have been after I moved from here. Uh, but in any case, this book, Remembering God's Mercy, has a special connection with you here at the CIC because it was here at the CIC where I first tried out some of the material that would later come uh, into this book. Was anyone here when I spoke about what St. Ignatius and Pope Francis can teach us about healing of memories? Any, any hands? I, I see, I see a, a few. Well, that was when I was first writing this book back in uh, July of uh, 2014. Uh, and part of the benefit of discussing material that you haven't yet published is that you get to work out the bugs. <laughs> so those of you who heard that 2014 talk, this is a new version of that talk with hopefully with bugs, uh, bugs removed since everything's been sort of sliced, diced, diced polished, gone through the Edenometer and, uh, and, co and come out uh, in, this, in this brand new book. Uh, so I should tell you about the inspiration for uh, writing Remembering God's Mercy. Uh, the inspiration came from uh, reading the first interview that Pope Francis did uh, in his, for his papacy. Uh, it was uh, his interview with Father Anthony Spadaro, S.J. So in Francis's uh, first uh, interview as Pope with Father uh, Anthony Spadaro of La Civiltà Cattolica, uh, he spoke about uh, his manner of prayer 
uh, and how the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius Loyola, of Loyola, which were part of his training as a Jesuit, had helped him develop a prayer full of memory. When I read that phrase, a prayer full of memory, it just resonated with me. I loved that, and I wanted to explore it. And as I did, I found that there was enough material from Francis and also from uh, the Jesuits who inspired him, uh, St. Ignatius Loyola and St. Peter Faber, enough material to fill a book on healing of memories. And I realized that if that was the case, then I'd better be the first person <laughs> uh, to, to do that before anyone else uh, caught on. But moreover, I, I wanted to write that book because I saw that uh, Pope Francis was speaking about a spirituality that was that was very much connected with the spirituality of my previous book, My Peace I Give You, Healing Sexual Wounds with the Help of the Saints. Now that book uh, was directed towards people who, like myself, had suffered sexual abuse in childhood to help them find healing through the lives of saints who, like them, had suffered trauma or abuse and had found healing in Christ. Now the response to that book was wonderful, uh, and uh, at the same time, readers told me that they wanted something more. They wanted a book that would have the same spirituality, the same message, but something that they could give to friends and family who uh, had perhaps not suffered abuse, but had other wounds that needed healing. And so I, I realized that uh, that Pope Francis could provide the right hook because, you know, it, it didn't sound quite right to say, you know, well, here's the reworking of my previous book, <laughs> but just more generalized. Um, I thought, you know, there has to be something, something more there also so that people who read my piece I give you might feel like this isn't just, you know, my piece I give you 2.0. Uh, but what I found was that the more I read Francis's writings, his talks, and then digging deeper into the writings that he did as as uh, pr the um, provincial of the uh, Jesuits um, in Argentina, the, the writings that he did uh, as, um, provincial probably isn't the right word, the, you know, the Jesuits had their own special words, uh, words, words for everything, but also looking in the writings that he did as Archbishop of Buenos Aires, uh, there was so much depth there. And then I had another thought, which I'll tell you, I haven't really told this to anyone else. But um, I got kind of tired of reading press about Francis where people would just jump to conclusions and try to associate him with you know, whomever else uh, they, uh, he reminded them of. Uh, and I felt that people were really reading him out of context. Uh, out of his, they were reading him outside the context of Jesuit spirituality. So I thought if people actually uh, read what Francis says about what he means by this prayer full of memory, it'll help them understand what he means by divine mercy, and it can help us all understand how to better live uh, this year of mercy. So uh, today I'll be sharing with you uh, the message of the first chapter of Remembering God's Mercy, uh, where I, uh, I talk uh, specifically uh, about uh, two prayers from the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius and how uh, those uh, prayers 
uh, are referenced uh, again and, and again in Francis's spirituality. Uh, so uh, let's start by taking a closer look at the quote I mentioned from Francis's interview with Father Spadaro. Francis said, prayer for me is always a prayer full of memory, of recollection, even the memory of my own history. For me, it is the memory of which St. Ignatius speaks in the first week of the exercises in the encounter with the merciful Christ crucified. And I ask myself, what have I done for Christ? What am I doing for Christ? What should I do for Christ? It is the memory of which Ignatius speaks in the contemplation for experiencing divine love when he asks us to recall the gifts we have received. Now, the examples of Ignatian prayer that Francis cites are effectively the bookends of the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius. The encounter with Christ crucified is part of the first exercise, while the contemplation for experiencing divine love is the last. Uh, together, uh, they form the spiritual framework within which the person making the exercises opens his mind and heart to the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Since these two meditations are so important to Francis's understanding of prayer, it's worth taking a closer look at each one. So let's start with the encounter with Christ crucified. It begins with the words, Imagine Christ our Lord present before you on the cross. Those words mark the first of many times in the spiritual exercises that Ignatius invites those making the exercises to picture themselves face to face with Jesus. We might even say that the entire program of the exercises is designed to enable participants to encounter Christ directly in the present moment. So then the question is, why does Francis, in discussing the encounter with the merciful Christ crucified, speak of that meditation as though it were a matter of calling to mind something that's past? Why does he call it a prayer full of memory? Well, I believe uh, that the answer has to do with another point that Francis makes in that same interview with Father Spadaro. He says, God is first. God is always first and makes the first move. Uh, Francis has elsewhere put the point across by using a Spanish word that turns first into a verb, uh, pre premaria. To premarius someone is to beat him to the prize. It's a playful term normally used to describe someone who is uh, a bit of a rascal. When Francis uses the term to uh, speak of encountering Christ, he's making a statement uh, akin to the observation that uh, C.S. Lewis makes in his Narnia books that Aslan, the character who represents God, is not a tame lion. Francis says, and I quote, God awaits us to surprise us. Letting oneself be led by Jesus 
leads to the surprises of Jesus. In a similar way, just as C.S. Lewis wrote that his conversion left him surprised by joy, so too Francis speaks of how God surprises us with his grace. He says, grace is always primaria. Grace always comes first, then comes all the rest. Behind the Pope's insight is the message of 1 John 4.19, we love because he first loved us. Uh, God created us for union with him, and he sustains us in being so that we might seek and find him. God created us for union with him, and he uh, sustains us in being so that we might seek and find him. Our encounter with him gives us the eyes to see how he has always been present throughout our lives. It's like that line in the classic poem by Francis Thompson, The Hound of Heaven, where the poet is finally surrendering to Jesus' love after years of fleeing him. And he says, Is my gloom, after all, shade of his hand outstretched caressingly? At the same time, it's important to note that Pope Francis emphasizes that his prayer full of memory consists of more than just his own remembrance of God. He says, above all, I also know that the Lord remembers me. I can forget about him, but I know that he never, ever forgets me. Francis has written that the right application of our memory can equip us to overcome personal challenges. He says, and I quote, Our history is full of tensions between past and present, between present and future, between time and eternity. Memory engages us with that tension and learns to read the present situation in the light of God's saving power. And when read this way, the present, Francis says, is turned into promise for the future. We find healing when we read the present situation in the light of God's saving power uh, because when we do that, we see that the memories we carry from our personal history don't tell the full story. The wounds, uh, when we see that, then the wounds left by our past sufferings no longer define us. This is true regardless of whether those wounds were caused by other people or by outside circumstances or by our own bad choices. Our memory is indeed part of our identity, but it's not the most important part. As Francis says, what most defines us is not that we remember, but that we ourselves are remembered by God. Francis writes, there is a passage in the Bible from the prophet Isaiah, which says, even should a mother forget her child, which is impossible, I will never forget you. And this is true. God thinks about me. God remembers me. 
I am in God's memory. This is what Francis says, God remembers me. And that healing truth underlies Mary's great hymn of praise, the Magnificat. Uh, he has helped Israel, his servant, remembering his mercy. That would make a good title for a book. Uh, according <laughs> to his promise to our fathers, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. The Magnificat is truly a prayer full of memory. And as Francis, and Francis says, as with Mary, our acts of thanksgiving, adoration, and praise found our memory on the mercy of God that sustains us. Now, when our memory is rooted in, God, in the Lord's merciful love, it changes the way that we perceive our bodily sufferings. It has to do so because I don't, I don't only bring my soul to encounter Jesus in the Eucharist. I bring my body as well. For, in Francis's words, our flesh is remembrance and the memory of the church is precisely the memory of the suffering flesh of God, the remembrance of the Lord's passion, the Eucharistic prayer. Now, at the heart of the Eucharistic prayer are Jesus' words, this is my body, this is my blood. When I hear Jesus say those words through the voice of the priest at Mass, if I respond in my heart by giving Jesus my body, my blood, my very heart and soul, then my own memories become joined in a special way to the memories of God. And this is really the whole, the whole message, the whole enchilada, the whole, if you want to be theological, the whole you know, gestalt or hermeneutic, how do you pronounce that? Uh, this is the message of remembering God's mercy. Remembering God's mercy is about exploring what it means to, to put on the mind of Christ. And so uh, to take on Christ's memories, uh, Christ's memory of, of his own experiences and Christ's memory of me. Uh, Francis's own experience of the memory of the suffering flesh of God is shaped by a prayer from the first week of the spiritual exercises, the Anima Christi. Francis once wrote to his fellow Jesuits that in the Anima Christi, Ignatius places us in contact with the Lord's sanctifying body in such a way that we are hidden in his wounds and thus have our own wounds and sores healed. Uh, are any of you familiar with the Anima Christi? Oh, many of you. That's great. Uh, it's a beautiful uh, prayer. It's often suggested in prayer books as a prayer to be said uh, after uh, communion. Well, in the, in the spiritual exercises, Ignatius instructs the person making the exercises to place himself in the presence of Jesus and make this prayer, which begins, Soul of Christ, sanctify me. Body of Christ, save me. Blood of Christ, 
inebriate me, water from the side of Christ, wash me, passion of Christ, strengthen me, O good Jesus, hear me, within thy wounds, hide me. Now, just reading this far, you can tell this is a prayer that bespeaks intense intimacy with Christ. The intimacy is real, it's physical, it's enfleshed. But at the same time, you can tell that uh, the uh, imagery of the Anima Christi doesn't stop at Jesus' humanity. It reaches all the way to his divinity. When we ask Jesus to hide us in his wounds, we realize, as Francis has said, that body, those wounds, those flesh, all are intercession. It is through the wounds of Christ that we encounter the Father. In Francis's first Divine Mercy Sunday homily as Pope, he drew upon the Anima Christi's spirituality uh, to shed light upon uh, the passage in John's Gospel where the risen Christ shows his wounds to Thomas. So Francis uh, uses the Anima Christi's spirituality in his Divine Mercy Sunday, uh, Sunday homily to shed light upon the passage in John's Gospel where the risen Christ shows his wounds to Thomas. Francis um, says in this homily that Jesus' interaction with the doubting apostle is an example of how God responds to our weakness by his patience. And Francis adds, this is the reason for our confidence, our hope, for we too can enter into the wounds of Jesus. We can actually touch him. This happens every time that we receive the sacraments with faith. But, Francis adds, we must have the courage to trust in Jesus' mercy, to trust in his patience, to seek refuge always in the wounds of his love. Francis is not afraid to admit his own woundedness in order to draw fellow wounded souls to the divine mercy. As Cardinal, he told his biographers, I don't want to mislead anyone. The truth is that I'm a sinner who God in his mercy has chosen to love in a privileged manner. Likewise, as Pope, when he urges the faithful to seek refuge in Jesus' wounds, he draws upon his own personal encounters with God's saving love. He says, in my own life, I have so often seen God's merciful countenance, his patience. I have also seen so many people find the courage to enter the wounds of Jesus by saying to him, Lord, I am here. Accept my poverty. Hide my sin in your wounds. Wash it away with your blood. And I have always seen, uh, Francis goes on, that he did just this. He accepted them, consoled them, cleansed them, loved them. In describing what he has personally experienced and witnessed, Francis provides a model for our own healing. 
and this model is to call to mind our personal history, recognizing our need for Jesus' merciful love, and bring our wounded lives into the arms of our wounded Savior. Now, what is it about Francis that enables him to be so confident that the personal history we each carry, oh, there's one more seat in the, in the front if you'd, if you'd like, uh, what enables Francis to be so confident that the personal history we each carry, including all the sins we've committed and all the evils we've suffered, is valuable to God? I would say that Francis's hope is informed by another prayer from the spiritual exercises, part of the second meditation that he cited to Father Spadaro as a prayer full of memory, the contemplation for experiencing divine love. That contemplation is centered after a prayer known after its first word in Latin as uh, the sushipe. Unlike the anima Christi, the sushipe was composed by Ignatius himself and reflects his personal journey. So let's look uh, for a moment at St. Ignatius's background. When Ignatius underwent a dramatic spiritual conversion in 1521 at the age of 30, there were many things in his past that he would have liked to forget. His mother died when he was just a baby, and soon afterward, his father sent him away from the family home uh, to be raised by a wet nurse. Although he grew to feel at home in his nurse's family, the experiences of loss and upheaval at such a young age likely took uh, an emotional toll on Ignatius. Uh, what we know for sure is that Ignatius bore deep regrets for things that he had brought upon himself. He would later say that before he was awakened to the love of Christ, he was a man given to worldly vanities who became a soldier so that he could satisfy a vain and overpowering desire to gain renown. We also have his friend's account that he was reckless with games, women, and brawls. So we are truly talking about a saint who has an arrest record. <laughs> it's true. Uh, and, and in fact, another funny thing, uh, he, he had been accepted into minor, and by minor I mean minor, minor orders uh, before the time he was uh, arrested. Um, and, and so he, he, the evidence that we have for his being accepted into minor orders is that his arrest record, like it actually says that he tried to use his tonsure as an excuse for avoiding arrest. So Ignatius definitely is a saint uh, with, a, with a past. And uh, during the year following his conversion, uh, he began an intense period of prayer and penance. It was then that he began writing his spiritual exercises. At the conclusion of the regime of meditations, he placed the contemplation to experience the love of God. The contemplation begins with two points for reflection. First, love should be manifested in deeds rather than words. Second, love consists in a mutual sharing of goods. One always gives to the other. 
Ignatius then invites us to set the scene for the meditation, to be, and in his words, to behold myself standing in the presence of God our Lord and of his angels and saints who intercede for me. And the object, Ignatius says, is to ask for an intimate knowledge of the many blessings received that filled with gratitude for everything, I may in all things love and serve the divine majesty. But how exactly are we to serve the divine majesty? What is it that God desires from us? Ignatius provides the answer through the powerful words of his sushipe, uh, the prayer uh, that goes, Take, O Lord, and receive my entire liberty, my memory, my understanding, and my whole will. All that I am and all that I possess, you have given me. I surrender it all to you to be disposed of according to your will. Give me only your, your love and your grace. With these, I will be rich enough and will desire nothing more. Now, given the sorrow that Ignatius felt over sinful choices that he made during his former life, it's moving to see that uh, the first thing he offers in the prayer is his liberty, wanting to live for God instead of for himself. He gives up his freedom to act so that he might say with St. Paul, I, my, I have been crucified with Christ, yet I live, no longer I, but Christ lives in me. Then comes the aspect of the sushipe that's perhaps the most striking. Having given his freedom, Ignatius seeks to give God his mind and heart. What is the first part of his inner self that he offers? It's his memory. In Ignatius's understanding of the human mind, the concept of memory refers to more than just particular memories. You see, for Ignatius, memory includes everything that had entered into his consciousness to make him who he was, whether or not he could actually remember it. Uh, it, it forms the foundation of his present identity, including his hopes for the future. This is an ancient way of understanding memory, and it makes particular sense for one who has survived trauma, as Ignatius had, having been wounded during his military days. Often in survivors of trauma, the brain attempts to protect itself by consigning painful swaths of the past to areas where memory's tendrils can't reach them. Yet the memories of traumatic events, whether present to us or not, remain part of us. And that's why there is something very beautiful about Ignatius offering his memory to God. The saint acknowledges that there are things he cannot change, the events of his past. And at the same time, he displays the bold hope that his maker will accept him as he is now with everything he did and everything that was done to him. Now, 
I remember how arresting it was for me as a survivor of childhood sexual abuse when I read the words of the sushi pay for the first time. I thought, how could God possibly want my memories? I don't want my memories. I've been trying to forget them. And God wants them. But the answer is that God wants everything. Most of all, as Francis says, he wants to teach us to be more loving. He wants to confirm in us the commitment we have made. And this, Francis goes on, is what our memory does. For memory is a grace of the Lord's presence in our apostolic lives. That is why Francis tells us our prayer, in his words, our prayer needs to be permeated with memory. When we unite our memories to the memory of God who remembers us, we find our identity as children of our Heavenly Father in Jesus Christ who suffered death and was buried and rose again. And this brings us back to the first part of Ignatius's sushi pay, the part when he offers God his liberty. Francis observes that liberty and memory, the foundations of Ignatius's self-offering, are intimately connected. And uh, in case you're curious about where he says this, I think all the quotes in the rest of my talk are from Francis's Corpus Christi homily of 2014. So in seeing how liberty and memory are connected, uh, Francis points to a passage uh, in the book of Deuteronomy when Moses reminds the Israelites how the Lord, after freeing them from slavery in Egypt, provided for them during the 40 years when they were being led through the wilderness to the promised land. Moses says, the Lord your God fed you with manna, a food unknown to you. In this way, Francis says, the scriptures urge the people to recall, to remember, to memorize the entire walk through the desert in times of famine and desperation. The command of Moses, Francis continues, is to return to the basics, to the experience of total dependence on God when survival was placed in his hands so the people would understand that man does not live by bread alone, but that man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. Now, if we dream of foods other than the bread of life, Francis says, and I quote, we are like the Hebrews in the desert who longed for the meat and onions they ate in Egypt, but forgot that they had eaten those meals at the table of slavery. In those moments of temptation, they had a memory, but a sick memory, a selective memory, a slave memory, not a free one. Now, 
those, those are words of Francis, and I would say they, they pose a special challenge to those of us who have survived trauma. If we've been wounded by others or have endured other kinds of hardship, we may be tempted to self-pity, despair, or anger. How can we escape such thoughts based as they are upon evils of the past that can't be undone? Francis gives us an answer with another image from Deuteronomy. The Israelites were led from slavery to freedom by God himself going before them, guiding them with a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Francis says, let us recover this memory. Uh, he says that the answer to the thoughts that enslave us is to in his words, follow Jesus truly present in the Eucharist. This is the true bread from heaven, our manna, through which the Lord gives himself to us. Now, uh, in a moment, I'd like to close with a prayer that uh, ends the first uh, chapter of Remembering God's Mercy. But before I do, I just want to tell you two things that if you read the entire book, you'll get but that you might not get just from this talk. And I think that these two things are important for understanding the perspective of where I'm coming from when I speak uh, about how uh, the encounter with the Eucharist uh, is part of uh, the healing of memory. Uh, the first thing, and this is something that I've said the last couple of times um, I, I'm, I'm, I've been here, um, speaking about healing of memory. So to anyone who's come before, I apologize for sounding like a broken record. But the uh, reason I wrote my piece I give you in the first place was that um, I had a, a negative encounter with a therapist who said that if I wanted healing from the memories uh, that, uh, that um, were part of my experience of post-traumatic stress, this therapist said I had to let him guide me through visualizing every painful memory and invite Jesus into each memory. He said that unless I did this, he couldn't really help me. Now, there are a lot of, of uh, very well-meaning Catholics who have a sincere desire to help people who practice this kind of inner healing or theophostic uh, prayer. And there are many people who have benefited from this. And, uh, and the people who practice this are often uh, in obedience to their pastor, uh, to their bishop. Uh, and I have to say that I'm grateful for them because, um, because they are so often the only people reaching out to those who have, Catholics, I mean, who have, uh, the only Catholics reaching out to those who have suffered childhood sexual abuse or to veterans with PTSD. Uh, they're often the only people who are trying to help them find healing through their faith. But I had a problem with the one-size-fits-all approach. I had a problem with the idea that unless you are personally willing to invite Jesus into each memory, that you just can't find healing. Um, and um, I only found out later, as I began to study both psychology and the faith, what the problem is with that. Psychologically, the problem is very simple. 
It's that, um, uh, if you, especially if you have complex uh, PTSD, as I do, memories get entangled with other memories. And you may be very reasonably frightened that if you recall one memory, you're going to have another and another and another, and you're going to have to keep going back for more inner healing, more inner healing, and it'll be like an inner healing addiction. And sadly, I've heard stories of, of this. So that's one problem with the one-size-fits-all approach. Uh, the other problem is, is a spiritual problem, which is that um, it's a problem in, in terms of misunderstanding of nature and grace and the nature of trauma and what it does to our bodies. Uh, I, I know people who, like myself, have PTSD, which is something that's embodied, uh, and one can't simply wish PTSD away by thinking nice thoughts. One can't simply pray it uh, away, and I, by that I don't mean that, that God doesn't answer prayer. I've received even physical healing through prayer, but I mean that the normal way that God works is, is over uh, time, and that there's something special to this, and we shouldn't resent or begrudge God when he chooses to work over time, rather than uh, as he sometimes does heal uh, immediately. And so um, with regard to grace building on nature, on nature um, in our encounter with the Eucharist, uh, what we're doing is we're offering Jesus our wound. We're admitting our woundedness. And even if we haven't suffered from traumatic stress, all of us have a wound. It's called original sin. And, and uh, even, even though uh, baptism justifies us, it doesn't divinize us. It's the leading edge of the divinization that we'll eventually receive in heaven. So while we're in this mortal coil, we still have our bodies. The catechism says we still have concupiscence, which the catechism says in, you know, typical um, Latin, and, and it is the, trans, the, the tradition, you know, it says we have to manfully fight <laughs> uh, in order to, uh, in order to uh, grow in virtue. Uh, so uh, so what the message I share in remembering God's, God's mercy is, is, that, is that if I admit I have a wound, I offer my wounded heart to the wounded heart of Jesus, which is now glorified, and then his light from his wounded heart, like we see in the divine mercy image, it enters into my wounded heart, and it, it starts to spread into, into the dark places, like, like Jesus says in the, the Sermon on the Mount, if your eye is good, then your eye is full of light. It happens over time, and there's a beauty in the, in the journey. You know, if we didn't have some of the pain still with us, we wouldn't be able to sympathize uh, with people who are also going through pain. I think that's a gift we shouldn't begrudge. Uh, so I'd like to leave you uh, with this beautiful prayer of Francis. It's from the end of that Corpus Christi homily. He says, Jesus, defend us from the temptation of worldly food, which enslaves us, tainted food. Purify our memory so it isn't imprisoned in selfish and worldly selectivity, but that it may be a living memory of your presence throughout the history of your people, a memory that makes a memorial of your gesture of redeeming love. You're a wonderful audience. I'll, I, I look forward now to 
answering your questions, and I'd love to meet you all and sign your books afterwards. Thank you so much, and God bless you. Don, thank you so much for what you're sharing with us here tonight and, and what you're sharing with the church. Um, we'll open the floor up now for questions. If you raise your hand, I'll come around with the microphone. That was really beautiful from your heart, and thank you. I, I love the integration of St. Ignatius with our beloved Pope Francis. And uh, as an educator and um, working with the youth and uh, having been uh, privy to uh, children who have years and years of abuse from family members. Do you have any recommendations for us as channels of healing for this uh, horrible, you know, uh, assault on, on the dignity of the human person, basically? So recommendations for caregivers. Um, well, I, in remembering God's mercy, uh, I try to, as much as possible, you know, fill this book with practical advice. You know, I, I don't really have exactly sets of, of tips, but I talk about things that have helped me personally. Uh, I think that as, as a caregiver, well, I should ask you, could you specify, are you speaking like in a secular environment or in a Catholic uh, environment or both? Well, in a Catholic parish yeah, and then Catholic parish. maybe being the recipient of the family secret that had been, oh, you know, yes. kept uh, under the lid for numbers of years and then having taken action to bring um, the attention of the pastor to the problem and, you know, knowing... One of my previous students is now an adult and living very far away in a foreign country. And I think there's a, a reason for that, to get away from maybe the painful memories and the person. And she chose not to take action legally. Okay, I think we're getting into some areas which are outside my area of expertise. So I want to be very careful uh, not to go outside my area of expertise because uh, I'm not... Uh, a, 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 psych, a, a psychotherapist, I'm not a canon lawyer. These are valid questions and valid concerns that you're asking about. And afterwards, I can um, try to think of perhaps some people who might have more expertise in that. But what I can tell you with regard to working uh, in a Catholic parish uh, is, that, um, is that it is very important to try to find a support team for people. And a support team first of all, uh, includes uh, a, a priest who has some experience speaking to or, or counseling people who have suffered uh, abuse or trauma and connecting the person with that priest. Um, if uh, the person uh, is uncomfortable speaking with a priest, uh, you, you may um, ask the pastor if the pastor um, knows a uh, caring religious uh, sister or, uh, or a, a lay a layperson with some um, expertise in spiritual direction. Uh, the reason why I always recommend priests first is that priests have had the most training, and whenever you're seeking any kind of spiritual guidance with regard to trauma, abuse, uh, 
uh, you, you really want to go to the most trained, most experienced person, but there are other, uh, certainly other op options. So you want to have a team that has a spiritual director. You also want to find a therapist. The therapist does not have to be a Catholic therapist, um, but it should be a qualified therapist who uh, has experience helping people with trauma and who also uh, will respect the person's faith. I recommend checking qualifications. That therapist I mentioned who was saying he couldn't really help me unless I uh, invited Jesus, in, relived each memory and invited Jesus in, I found out that uh, he had his doctorate from an, uh, an unaccredited university. So always good to check. Uh, a team, uh, you know, seriously, you know, buyer beware. Uh, so uh, the team should also include um, some kind of, you know, family, ideally, whom the person who has suffered this trauma can spend time with, who will just take them, you know, under their wing and do things with them so that the person can feel like they have, have community in the parish. I, I, hope, I hope that answers the question. I like those, those suggestions. They're very beautiful. Any other questions? I have a question about the sushi pay, which is, it, it strikes me as a very unequivocally demanding prayer. It is. And yet some of the translations I've seen of it, I'm a lawyer and so I look for le weasel words, you know, are, are just a little less so. You know, it's kind of like when, you know, I ask my wife, oh, do you want me to go let the dog out? And I know she's going to say, no, that's okay, I can do it. And sure enough, she does and it's all done. <laughs> How do, we, how do we get past that? I mean, how do we meet the demands of the prayer? Which I think we get the past the demands on the prayer by just focusing on the last words. The, you know, the last words are, 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 grant me thy love and thy grace. With these I will be content and will ask for nothing more. When you think about it, you know, I don't know about you, but I can take just about anything if I know that God, who is so much greater than me, is just going to just is just going to pour down love and grace upon me. Um, you know, I, I think what frightens me the most is the fear that I'm going to get so neurotic or scrupulous uh, or anxious or depressed um, that I'm, you know, going to somehow. Um, going to somehow create obstacles between myself and that grace. So if giving God my liberty and my memory and my uh, understanding and my whole will is what can enable him to go whoosh and break down those barriers that I myself am liable to put up, then it's worth it. Thank you. I uh, was first introduced to you on the uh, journey home on EWTN oh, uh, a number of years ago. So it's really nice to be in your presence and to hear you speak. Um, just curious about your mother and your sister's journey. You talked about them on EWTN back then and just want to know a little more how that relationship is. And, um, and, and an update, a Dawn Eden <laughs> life, uh, life update. Um, you know, it's, it's, so, it's so funny because uh, often, you know, in the past, when I've gotten questions, I've said, well, I want to protect my family's privacy. But, but I have actually made my family public persons <laughs> by, by talking in, in, in my book about them. Well, you know, now is a, as good a time as ever to say uh, that, that I, just, um, I just 
stayed uh, uh, along with my sister who was visiting at my mother and, and, and stepfather's uh, home uh, for a weekend, had a beautiful time. So much healing has found and has been, has, 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 has um, been found, has, has come about in that relationship. Uh, um, my, my sister and I, we, we've, we've always been, uh, gotten along very well. The tension was between myself and and my mother, and I really believe that um, that those of you and others who have come to my talks and read my book, who have said a prayer uh, for healing in my relationships, or just a prayer for me, period, I really feel that those prayers have helped because there's no other explanation for for how I could be where I am now, uh, so uh, doing so much better uh, in that relationship with my mother than if it weren't for the power of prayer and God's grace. So thank you. I had a slightly different question. On all your talks, you're talking about things that people suffered in their lives and the memory of that, like that they suffered. And I was thinking whether, whether the same thing would apply to people who are born with it or never remember a time before it. Like, like let's say there's somebody who's born without an arm or somebody who's born with a psychological difficulty. Would, would would the same thing apply? Because I'm, I'm trying to think through it. I didn't really have an answer, so I thought I would ask you what you would think about that. How does memory come into play uh, for someone for someone who uh, ha can't remember being well, being whole, being healthy? Uh, th thank you, Father. I've never been asked that that, that question, so that's that's uh, that's one that I have to think about for a moment. But I think that Francis gives the answer in that same interview that I quoted where he speaks about a prayer full of memory. He says, I think about what the Lord has done for me in a particular parish. He talks about, about having, um, going back and thinking of good memories. This is something that I actually talked about uh, in my piece I give you, and in my piece I give you I'm quoting Benedict who talks about it. So, you know, that's another point of great continuity uh, to, between, um, b between the popes. Uh, Benedict uh, brings up um, a, a Christmas carol. Are any of you familiar with uh, the Dickens story or any of the films? Uh, well, uh, Benedict says that in this Christmas story by, by Dickens, uh, this, there's this man, Scrooge, who has lost all human uh, affection. Uh, so he's lost... Um, the ability to uh, to love or to be loved, and in order to find healing, he has to go all the way back to a time in his past. This he's shown this by the ghost of Christmas past to a time when he was loved, and build his identity upon this. Uh, so, you know, for someone who's lost uh, an arm, for someone with a a, a birth defect that affects their mental uh, capacity, um, that defect can't be the grounds for their existence. It can't because, you know, e evil is, is parasitic. Evil is simply negative. There has to be a good there. Uh, I was giving a talk uh, a few years ago to uh, women uh, in Philadelphia uh, who, uh, who were formerly prostituted and, uh, and uh, were, uh, th these women were graduating from a treatment court through which, um, having having shown them themselves uh, to to have received treatment and to be rehabilitated from their various addictions and other uh, problems, they get their um, record uh, criminal record wiped. Uh, and in speaking to them, I told them that 
even if you go back in your memory and you can't remember a time when someone showed you love, love which is really the human face of God's love for you, you can at least think about a time when you could have died, um, when, uh, when you, you could have lost, uh, lost, your, lost your life um, and, and you didn't. God preserved you. And God preserved you because he loves you and he wants you to have this present moment of union with him. Uh, does that answer your question, Father? I think we're getting to an answer. I think like you're saying, it's, it's something that, that we might need to reflect on more. Sure. Because like, I, I see you're moving towards an answer. It's not a full answer, but I don't think we can get a full answer in, in two minutes on a lot of these questions. <laughs> <laughs> Point well taken. Thank, thank you, thank you, Father. By the way, I, I recognize you from from from, twi from twi Twitter, and uh, so it's very nice to have you here, Father Father Math Matthew Schneider. Elsie, very nice to meet you. Thank you. Um, hi, I had a question. Thank you so much for your talk. Um, I wondered if you had any wisdom to offer people who feel a hundred percent responsible for something that was probably ninety-five percent circumstances and five percent choices that they made at the time. So, uh, so with, with that question, uh, what to say to someone who, who feels completely responsible for something that, that, was, that they had only a small amount of real culpability in, this is extremely pertinent to me because I just uh, had, uh, did the eight day spiritual exercises um, with a wonderful Jesuit, Father Bill Blazik in uh, Louisiana, and I had uh, a memory come up during those exercises that I talked about with him, and he pointed out the, um, my lack of culpability. And uh, what, what really uh, helped me was, well, first of all, just speaking to a good spiritual director. That, that was really the most helpful thing, because spiritual directors are, this is what they're trained for, helping people to sort through that stuff. But also, it, it helped me to be in an atmosphere in which I was meditating upon, upon the mysteries of Christ's life. Uh, and this goes to another part of my critique of inner healing, that healing is not about, in, about inviting Jesus into the mysteries of your life. It's about inviting yourself into the mysteries of Jesus' life. And that's why uh, the rosary, uh, all 20 of the mysteries, is, the rosary is so helpful because Jesus lived a full life. Um, he did everything well. He received every kind of, 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 of abuse and pain. And he, and he is now risen and is bringing us the grace to be united with him. So when we pray the rosary, we, we see that whenever we're united with Jesus in his passion, we're by, which we are by our baptism, uh, and which we uh, you know, uh, enter into more deeply whenever we receive the sacraments, being united with Jesus in his passion, the rosary shows us, is de facto union uh, with him in his resurrection as well. We may not feel that union with his resurrection, and that's okay. Grace is invisible. We don't always uh, feel uh, its effects, but we have faith, which is knowledge, so that, so that we know that, uh, that in, our own, in our own agony, he is invisibly giving us the grace that's the leading edge of, uh, of the resurrection. I, I, hope, I hope that helps. Thank you. 
Unfortunately, that's all the time we have this evening. Please join me in thanking Don Eden for being with us tonight. Thank you so much.